This is the story of Diamonds and Pearls, a new season of The Prince Podcast produced in collaboration with NPG Records, Paisley Park Enterprises, Sony Music Entertainment, and Warner Records. Welcome back to the fourth and final episode of our series about Prince in the early 90s. We spent a lot of time over the previous three episodes talking about the formation of Prince's band, The New Power Generation, and the creation of his Diamonds and Pearls album. Today, we're going to focus on the release of the album and the countless ways Prince kept reinventing his live show in the long lead-up to the Diamonds and Pearls tour. By now, you've likely had a chance to check out the expanded reissue of Diamonds and Pearls and sample at least some of the incredible vault material that's included in the Super Deluxe Edition. What I want to draw your attention to today are the live performances in this new collection and the story that they tell about Prince as a band leader in this era. There are two main live shows that we're going to listen to today, and they kind of bookend the period when Prince was getting ready to release Diamonds and Pearls and when he was about to set sail on the tour. The first is Prince's appearance at the opening ceremonies of the Special Olympics, which were held in Minneapolis in the summer of 1991. In addition to the actual performance, there's also footage of the band's soundcheck at the Metrodome, a cavernous domed arena which typically hosted baseball and football games by hometown teams, the Twins and the Vikings. It's fascinating watching the footage of the soundcheck. It almost has the feeling of a home movie that someone might have made with their family in the early 90s on one of those giant over-the-shoulder camcorders. This is my main man, Sonny T. Main How's man. it going? And my other main man, Damon D. Mm-hmm. This is the main man. That's And you? Just introduce yourself. I'm just Kirk J. You know, just hanging out at the Metrodome. Back when I was a younger fella, I used to <laughs> run up and down this field with a football, you see what I'm saying? And that's Tommy right there. When I was young, I used to run up and down the sidelines. Each member of the NPG wanders into frame, taking in the gigantic performance space. You said and that's yourself. Rosie back there behind you. Now see, I used to practice my keyboard in this room. By the time Prince strolls toward the stage, however, the entire band snaps to attention and prepares to follow his lead. Dearly beloved, we gather here today to get through this thing called soundcheck. high-stakes performance for Prince. Aside from a one-off gig that he played for record executives at the Warner lot in Burbank that spring, it was one of the first times anyone outside his purple orbit would hear the material from his new album, including snippets of the hip-hop-heavy Push and the title track, Diamonds and Pearls. The new material was sandwiched around a Purple Rain classic, Baby, I'm a Star. I 
By the time they get to the rap verses of Push, the band is racing through the song at a fast clip. At the actual ceremony, they would go even faster. That was a huge moment for rapper Tony M. For Prince to allow me to take front and center on that stuff, it's just like, it blows me away even when I see it to this day. You know, I grew up watching, idolizing this cat, and um, he owned it, right? Uh, you, I mean, you were background. If you're on the stage with my man P, you were just background. And for him to allow me to step forward and, and just do me was, uh, man, it's something else. And it was a huge moment for Prince, who was signaling to the world that he was heading in a new direction. You know, the band he had before, <laughs> the revolution, that was the revolution. Great band, great guys, they do their thing. But we brought a culture with us. This is the NPG's Damon Dixon. You come and get all these brothers and sisters in your group and you say, okay, he done almost went ghetto, I don't know. We gotta be careful. <laughs> but you know, you had all of us come in and we were just raw. Everything from the dancing to what's being played and even segues in the songs, stuff we would talk about in the studio. the sound check wraps up, the filmmaker behind the camera, Scott McCullough, catches up with Rosie Gaines to hear her thoughts about playing such a massive space. What do you think of playing in this dome? Yeah. I love it. I Echo? think it's the first time and I think it doesn't matter because I think the music, it has such feeling, you know. And I think when we put that positive energy out to the people, they'll pick that up. The next night, Prince and the NPG performed in front of more than 50,000 Special Olympics athletes and fans in a performance that was recorded and broadcast to millions on ABC. Prince was introduced by Kirstie Alley, who would be prominently featured on his next album. I want you all to have a good time. Tonight is your night, your party. You have earned this. We are only here to entertain you, to celebrate you, and to salute you. 
So on behalf of the Special Olympics, good luck. Welcome to the opening ceremonies. and the new power generation. Special Olympics performance took place in July 1991, just three months before Diamonds and Pearls was released. This was a highly visible time for Prince, whose heavy participation in the promotion of the album likely propelled its commercial success. As the lead singles Get Off and Cream climbed the charts, Prince and the NPG would also appear on the MTV VMAs, where Prince famously debuted his iconic yellow lace butt-out pants, and they would take over the Arsenio Hall show for an unprecedented 30-minute performance. As the NPG's Levi Caesar recalls, even as Prince's label Warner Brothers pushed him to take on these high-profile appearances, Prince still had his own reasons for choosing the outlets that he did. Prince had very high hopes for, for Arsenio. He always wanted to support Arsenio as much as he could um, because he, he also wanted, he had a, I think he took it on as a mission. Like he wanted to to elevate the minds of the R and B artists. He's like, hey, keep the R and B, but there's some other music out there. And so he was trying to kind of sneak it in a little bit. Like here's some R and B with some rock, you know. Here's some R and B with some reggae. So I think he looked at our senior show as like an outlet for that, where he could take some things to the next level. As Michael Bland noted, Prince was so happy with the way the Arsenio appearance went that he ended up completely reimagining his plans for the tour. After we do Arsenio and it's such a success, he's like, we just toured the United States. You know how many people watched that performance? So he changed his focus again. Like, I want to do something else until it's time to tour in the summer. So in between was where we did, a, you know, we shot a lot of the videos. Singles kept coming out. And um, we just geared up for the tour. I am Violet, the organ grinder, 
look for the organ Then I am grinding I'll die but I won't go This was a wildly prolific time for Prince, and it's fascinating how much he changed up his live show in the six months between the release of the album and the kickoff of the tour at the Tokyo Dome in Japan in April 1992. In that time, Prince would expand the NPG to include three more dancers, the gospel group The Steels, and a new five-piece horn section, nearly doubling the number of performers with him on stage. He would also finish recording most of his next album, which he would title after his new symbol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was he was promoting one album and, and the new album's already in his in his head. <laughs> this is the dancer Maite Garcia, who entered Prince's world in 1990. Maite first visited Prince and Paisley Park just as he was getting ready to release Diamonds and Pearls. So I remember flying and, and, and landing and, and walking out of the airport and seeing this huge limo. I remembered seeing Paisley from afar because back in the day, there was nothing out there except for Paisley Park. I remember seeing it and thinking, oh my God, Emerald City. That's what I thought in my mind. I thought Emerald City. And then, of course, pulling in and, and him greeting me. And I mean, just the energy in that in that building was just... And this is before he um, renovated it and, and decorated it with color. It was very, very pale, you know, sky, blue, grays, very, no color, no punch of color. His house was, I think at the time it was, it was blue and pink and he was getting it painted yellow and purple because he had already had his mind into the whole get off and, and, and that, and that was the next single and that album had not come out yet. And just, you know, going into the studio and hearing the music and hearing Diamonds and Pearls, he took me on a, on a ride in his Jeep around the lake and we listened to the album and it just was, it was surreal. You know, I kept telling him, I like this song, this is my favorite one. And then the next one, okay, no, that's my favorite one. <laughs> it was just amazing. Maite and Prince had mostly been communicating up to that point over the phone and through the mail, and she'd already gotten clues that he was deeply inspired by her belly dancing act and her connection to Cairo and love of Egyptian and Arabian folk music. And I remember when I, he asked me for cassette tapes because I would send him videotapes of my dancing and he's like, can you send me an audio cassette? I was like, oh, okay, interesting that he wants to hear this. And then when he sent me Thunder, I went, oh. Okay. <laughs> Thunder all through the night. Promise to see Jesus in the morning light. Take my hand, it'll be all right. Come on, save your soul tonight. can specifically hear like uh, you know samples that he took from my cassette tapes and put it into the music so yeah I was like wow I can't believe I inspired him to create a song 
1991 drew to a close and Prince got deeper into his work on what would become the Symbol album, he ended up recruiting Maite to perform as a dancer in the NPG, which came as a surprise to Maite. My goal as a, as a dancer, as a professional, was to dance in Cairo. I mean, that was the ultimate for, for any belly dancer to get a contract there. So that was, that was my thing. And he thought differently. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I remember thinking, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm a ballet, ballerina belly dancer. Like, this is completely a different world for me. And it just worked. It just worked, you know? And he would help me. I, I loved it because I would, you know, I remember Thunder, he would sit there and say, you got to do something here or something like really, really, like he wanted every move to be powerful, you know? And it, it was great to, to, you know, I would do a move. He goes, yeah, that's that's good. Okay, yeah. You know, and it was just so much fun to to dance and and get his his input on it. Prince not only opened Diamonds and Pearls with the track Thunder, but he positioned it as the opening number of the tour set, meaning that Maite was one of the first things that fans saw as soon as Prince and the new power generation started to perform. When it came time to play their first show, Maite was a little nervous. I mean, I just remember thinking, I'm like a sore thumb. Uh, people were going to be like, what is he doing? And, you know, and I remember being scared. So I was like, oh my God, people are going to be like, what is this belly dancer doing here on stage? Remarkably, Maite's first public performance ever with Prince is now being released from his vault as part of the expanded reissue of Diamonds and Pearls. It's an incredible, intimate rehearsal show held at Prince's downtown Minneapolis club Glam Slam in January 1992. This is a jingle that Prince wrote to promote the club in early 1991. It was aired repeatedly on the Twin Cities Top 40 station WLOL that year. Well, I just remember that. He said, we're going to play at the Glam Slam. This is Sunny T. Like, when? Tonight. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. I just remember that show was so fun to do. You know, everybody was so hyped up to do it. Yeah, it was crazy. Put that thing on the radio, like, not even an hour. Like, it sold out and, and under, a, I mean, I, I think it was just like some minutes or whatever. And we were like, it's really going to be a show. But Glam Slam, he just wanted good music, good dancing, live musicians that could play, a place where he could just play and hang out and, you know, and then he had one in LA and it was uh, Tokyo too. He had one in Tokyo. It was just, I mean, when you, when you're a musician, you want to be able to play your music and, and that was a perfect vessel to, to play it and get people's reactions. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we want you to put your Good night. 
Although ostensibly a last-minute rehearsal show, Prince and the NPG attack the stage with enough intensity to blow your hair back, and his hometown crowd is clearly entranced by the spectacle. The stage is overflowing with performers, and somehow the musicians and their equipment are arranged with enough room for all these dancers and additional singers to file on and off the stage and surround Prince. For Daddy Pop, Prince is suddenly flanked by his three dancers, Tony, Damon, and Kirk, who egg him on and act as his onstage foils. And for Willing and Abel, he brings out Minneapolis gospel troupe The Steels, the same group that introduced him to his keyboardist, Tommy Barbarella, and helped him keep tabs on Sunny T prior to recruiting them both to join his band. In so many ways, this Glam Slam show feels like a full circle moment for Prince when it comes to the formation of his NPG. In the footage, he looks so proud of his new group, so much of which was plucked out of the hometown he's performing in front of. And even though he's yet to play a single show of his Diamonds and Pearls tour, he's eager to show off the new material he'd been working on, including this joyful gospel send-up of The Sacrifice of Victor, one of the concert's many highlights. In addition to serving as Maite's first official show with Prince, the NPG's January 11th, 1992 show at Glam Slam was also the first time they were joined by the five-piece horn section that had been hard at work with Prince in the studio that winter. The section was led by trombonist and composer Michael B. Nelson. Hey, this is Michael B. Nelson from the Hornheads and the NPG Horns originally. I remember just two times going out to Paisley and doing that for five, six hours of jamming, working on something, then going into the studio for another six hours recording. 
and just walking out just like buzzed but freaked and going what what just happened you know um just it was so intense and just so focused there was no um no hanging out it was just like you just started playing and you were just making music and it was just and non-stop there was just no no real breaks in a matter of just weeks, Michael and the rest of the NPG Horns, Brian Gallagher, Steve Strand, Dave Jensen, and Kathy Jensen, found themselves on stage with Prince at Glam Slam, furiously trying to keep up with the rest of the NPG as they mastered all their parts. I mean, a lot of working with him, that was kind of how it was, because the pace he worked at was just uh, like nobody else. He was just making sure that everything, every creative idea he was getting which was constant, would be acted on. And so you were part of this, you know, this tsunami of, of you know, of creativity that you just kind of got washed up in and you were, you were just constantly just hanging onto that piece of wood and, <laughs> and saying, okay, I'm, I'm still here, I'm still here, you know. At the beginning of Cream, he keeps he calls for the horns like twice to do our swell, and we don't play. And I'm just that was so early. See, one eleven. Yeah, I mean that's like we hadn't even you know figured out cueing and all the stuff. And the, but I think we started kind of working with them at the end of November in '91. I can't believe we were even ready to do a show by then. When I show the footage of the concert to Michael, you can see Prince turn around and give the horn section a playful smirk. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard that. I went, oh, man. But this is so this is so early. Maybe he wasn't in our monitor enough. I mean, that's one thing I learned was um, when we were on tour, he was so loud in our monitors to the, to the point of pain. But he had to, because if he whispered, you couldn't hear him. If he screamed, then it hurt, but you had to just deal with it. This is something that so many of Prince's bandmates have talked about over the years. You had to be ready to turn on a dime and listen closely to receive Prince's cues at any moment, even if they were barely audible. Another staple of Prince's live show during the Diamonds and Pearls era was his constant call to Michael B, as in drummer Michael Bland, which is how he would lead the band in and out of breaks. Michael B. That's right. You know how many times I had to hear that? <laughs> Michael B. That meant do something. <laughs> Come right back in. I, he had to break the habit of doing that after I got fired, I'm sure. So what goes through your mind and body when you hear Prince say Michael B? Oh, it, it's like, I, it's a surge of adrenaline. Like, I, oh, it's like the Manchurian candidate. We were on tour for the, it was a nude tour. And we were, it was one show, one early show at Wembley Arena. There was 18 of them. I get called into Prince's dressing room a few minutes before the show. Uh, this happened a few times uh, on that run because you know, I was still making mistakes and you know I had to 
go into his dressing room and he had to talk to me. And he's like, why are you trying to mess up my show, man? <laughs> you know, like, what's wrong? Don't I work hard enough? Tell me what I need to do so that you play this music correctly. And at some point I decided I wasn't going to be, you know, talk to this kind of way for much longer. And I had the, the option of either, you know, either you're going to tighten up and do what's required or you're going to get spit out the other end of this thing. So I just had to reach a little deeper, you know, and find that spot. And once I got to that spot, I never turned it loose. You've got to be hard about it. You know, you got to be hard with yourself, you know, because anybody could be sitting in your seat. So what are you going to say with your instrument while you're sitting there, you know? You've got your horn. Why don't you blow it? Well, you saw some footage where he said he wrote that song about, to himself. Mm, oh, looking at himself in the mirror or something? Yeah, yeah. looking at himself in the mirror, yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. Look up in the air, it's your guitar. For the members of the NPG, they were willing and able to meet Prince's high standards because they knew he was working just as hard to demand that level of excellence from himself. Being a part of the New Power Generation was just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You're not going to get nobody. You're not going to get a group of guys like that again. It was amazing to be a part of it, you know, and that was because of what he brought us into and how he wanted to do things. Listening to all the parts and all the stuff we had to do back then, we were ahead of the game. This is Kirk Johnson. Because he wanted it to sound like the record, but plus 10. <laughs> so, you know, Tommy was, and Rosie had keyboard parts and samples and this and that, and you had to hit that, you know, there was no sequencer back then. You had to hit the parts. Intricate, and all that was in his brain. That's what's amazing. You look back and like, man, Oss was in his brain. He had to get it all out so he can put the next thing in. <laughs> amazing. The objective is to give the people the best show possible. And that might have to mean you're going to be a little uncomfortable. You know, and if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. But it's not about our gratification. It's for them. You know, you think it's comfortable for him to walk around in them heels? <laughs> you know? You think it's comfortable for Prince to have to play and sing and write and record all this music? No, it's not about comfortable. It's a well-traveled uh, ideal in the black community because Kennedy basically said it more or less. Like, we choose to do the hard thing. Don't do the easy thing. Every, anybody could do that, you know? So, you know, don't only do the hard thing, but master it, you know? It's not supposed to be easy. We're, we're, cause we're not common, you know? There's a superhero inside everybody, but you gotta, you gotta grasp it. You gotta push it forward. I think Prince is the last bar. You know, there's, there's a bar that everybody's shooting for. And I, I, you know, it's gonna be a long time before somebody raises the bar of where he was at. It, it, I, I don't even see it happening. 
I don't even know how it's possible. Because too many things have to come together for that to exist. For that for that to even be possible. I mean, you'd have to love music. You have to be dedicated to it. You'd have to have a talent, the work ethic. Uh, and then, you know, then you'd have to be him. You can just put it in there. I just miss him so much Aww. for what he did. Yeah. You know, I, I just miss it. Thank you so much for tuning in to another season of the Official Prince Podcast. I had such a blast sharing these stories with you and being together with you again in this space. The story of Diamonds and Pearls is written, hosted, and executive produced by me, Andrea Swenson, in collaboration with NPG Records, Paisley Park Enterprises, Sony Music Entertainment, and Warner Records. Anna Weggel is our producer, and Corey Schreppel is our technical director. Special thank you to Zach Hockapel, Giancarlo Siama, and Dwayne Tudal for all their support. The newly remastered expanded editions of Diamonds and Pearls are available to order now at prince.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, search for the official Prince podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite platform. Mm-hmm.